due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode, what is it, episode 38 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Rakitis here, Anthony DeMarco, going to join us in just a couple of moments as we get a lot to discuss today, also in this Thursday edition of Stick to Hockey Live, as we do every Thursday. We bring on the man Tone. He gives you Tone's takes and tells you where to put your dough right there on the Bet Parks app. Tone's having a great year on uh, plus 33 units on the season. And uh, we'll hear from him coming up in just a little bit. Tell you where to put that money at. And let me tell you about the place where you should put it at, where you should put your action. That is the Bet Parks app, the all new Bet Parks app, which is awesome. Easy to use. It's an online casino and sports book. And take it from me. You're going to love it. It's everything you want in a mobile casino and sports book. Easy to sign up, easy to navigate, easy to use, fun to use, faster to win than ever before. Plus, the other part about it is, is you've got a great deal to get on it right now. Just use the promo code Jason750, Jason750, J-A-S-O-N. There's no Y in my name. And you're going to get a $750 risk-free bet. Not 50, not a hundo, not even 500. hundo. That's the most I've ever seen out of any of these places, 500. This is an industry-leading $750 risk-free bet. So check it out and get in on the app, and you're going to love it. It's so simple to use, and all Bet Parks users can get in on that Jason750 promo code and get that risk-free bet up to $750. So check it out. Make sure you follow Parks uh, on the, all the social channels, at Bet Parks on Twitter, on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. And you'll get great content there, including the Linums, the new show coming up with D Linum, Jimmy Linum. And other lineums as the NBA hoops playoffs begin. Uh, you can check that out, I think, beginning Monday. D joined us on Ajis with Harry Mays on Tuesday. So uh, check that out as well. You get all great content there, and you'll get the great experience of dealing with the Bet Parks app. So download the all new Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. We have a ton to discuss today. Again, we'll get the tones, takes coming up, but let's bring in the man right now. We go north of the border. To bring him in, it is the one and only Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. Back in a regular studio or place, to, or a regular place to do a podcast as opposed to where I was uh, two weeks ago or whatnot. But I mean, uh, you're, standing. You're, you're sitting today? Yeah, sitting today. And uh, I know that last time it maybe was a good shot to show off my physique and imposing mm-hmm. figure. I'm just, I'm just screwing with you. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. Look, look, if you have physique, you can skate. You got a chance to play for the Flyers right now. <laughs> That's it, man. Like, my God. Like, you know you know what? It, it's kind of nice to see them trying out new players and nice to see some promising players. Like, I think Brink and Noah Cates have looked really good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you go up against quality NHL playoff teams like the Capitals and the Rangers and you're icing a borderline AHL roster – the overall product isn't going to be as optimistic as to put it lightly. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, uh, you do your work on the fourth period.com brotherly pod, but let's tell people we have an announcement to make, don't we? Yeah. Um, Do you want to do the honors or me? I'll I'll do it. Absolutely. Ant's going to be joining us on every Thursday episodes, at least uh, coming up to the draft in June or maybe even July. We'll see where we get to. But uh, you'll be joining the show every Thursday, and it won't be just you. We'll book some guests along with you as well, Uh, but you will be co-hosting the program on the second episode of every week uh, from here in perpetuity. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I think that uh, it's worked really well. I love doing this show, whether it be with just you. We've done it with Anthony Sanfilippo, who's a good friend of both of us. And leading up to the draft, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about, and hopefully we can extend this partnership into next season and beyond. It's going to yeah. be really fun, really good Absolutely. stuff. we got to get Panyota on, too. we got to wake him up from his slumber. Oh, yeah. you you got to try and find him, though. He could be in L.A., Western Canada, in his bunker down in Toronto. But, uh, yeah, we'll for sure try and get Dave on sometime soon. Yeah, he's got his own travel agent, all the moving he's doing, but he does great work as well. All the work at the fourth period.com is always very good, and you're a contributor there as well. Um, but let, let's get to the business here because there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, the Flyers are coming off that 9 2 loss against the Capitals, where, you know, and I, I kind of liken the, the team D zone structure in that game to when you like buy like a, a donut at the, the local store and they give you that little, really thin wrapper to hold it with. 
that like wax wrapper that's really light. And then you're driving down a highway and you open your sunroof or your windows and the wrapper just goes right out. <laughs> that was the flyer structure in that game. Yeah, it was it was rough. Hideous, it was a man. really it was a really rough game. You know, like I'm not gonna let the defensemen off the hook here, and I'm talking specifically about the top four with Provorov, York, Risto played in that game, but he got hurt in Sanheim. But like, I don't know about you, man, but like, does it not seem that the wingers are incredibly soft on the boards on breakout passes? Yeah, it's a huge thing. You, you got it because you're in, in today's NHL. You know, the D man is gonna come crashing down on you all the time in an effort to keep the puck in the offensive zone. Cause everybody knows the best way to defend in this league is to be in the offensive zone. Yeah. So they will sell out a little bit to do that. And you have a lot of aggressive four checks out there. You're right. And the wingers got to be willing to take a little punishment to get that puck on the wall, get it turned and get it out of the zone. And I don't think the Flyers are especially big on the wing. Uh, you know, especially Zach McEwen has been out in recent games and not to say that Zach McEwen is like the greatest flyer of all time by any stretch, but when he was out, it was noticeable because I think that over the last 10, 12 games or so, he's played better when they had the Brown and Thompson line working with Zach McHugh. And I thought that it was working well. But I also think the lack of center strength in this team is affecting it because when those wingers are going to be willing to take the punishment, you need centermen to support them if they want to bump it to the middle of the ice and create a breakout pass, maybe a chance for an odd man rush if the the defenseman does pinch down to try and pressure the winger. But I think you see sometimes like the centermen that the Flyers have right now are not as maybe dynamic as you'd like to hope. Like I do think a guy like Morgan Frost has been playing some really good hockey over the last 12 games. I think aside from Noah Cates, he has the best Corsi. He's up there and expected goals for obviously the raw point totals have still not come as much as you like. I think he only has like one goal and 12 and two assists in his last 13 games, but his play has been promising. But I do think that the overall lack of size and maybe tenacity on the on the wings this season has affected the overall D zone play and the effective effectiveness of breaking the puck out. Totally agree. Charlie and O'Connor and I were sitting next to each other in the press box last night. I think it was during the second period. We were talking about Morgan and th- that's the conundrum for Frost, right? If you want to open him up more offensively, lessen his load kind of defensively in the D zone and have him be a little bit more prolific on the offensive end. And you want to do that as a winger. That's great. But the problem is, is that that's an area that he does not like is getting those pucks on the half wall in the D zone with the D man crashing on him or a winger or center crashing on him on a four check. That's an area that he's not been good at. And then at center, the, the problem for him is, you know, some of that D zone responsibility that kind of ties him up a little bit from the O zone. So He's got to go into the offseason and find a way to to be able to handle contact better. Not that you need to initiate it in that circumstance. He's not Peter Forsberg, but to accept it and not shy from it. I think that's a big thing. And, you know, it's all right to not excel in a certain way. Like, I remember back in 08, 09, and even 09, 10, up until the playoffs, they were really trying Danny Briere on the right wing Mm -hmm. because they were so deep down the middle with Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, Claude Giroux broke out in 08, 09 as a centerman, and he was drafted as a right wing. And I remember Briere had a tough time adjusting because he wasn't used to the contact along the wall. And Breer obviously wasn't a physically imposing guy or whatnot. And I still think he finished the 09-10 season where he played, I think, exclusively on the wing, predominantly with Carter and Hartnell um, with 53 points, if I'm not mistaken. But then he moves back to the middle in the in the later part of that New Jersey series in the first round after Carter goes down with injury. And then he goes on that historic run where he put up, what, 30 points in 22 playoff games. Yeah. And when Briere was in the middle, and this is not to say that Briere was like this astounding two-way centerman, but he was able to find that open ice and be dynamic in the offensive zone because he was able to shy away from that contact while also not being a complete liability defensively. Not to say he was going to be on anyone's penalty kill unit, but you know what I mean. And I think Frost needs to find a way to just carve out a niche here. And yes, he has been playing better, of course. But again, the raw point totals are still coming. You know, I think he's on pace over an 82-game stretch to notch like 22 points, which like even if you account for a stretch of playing with poor wingers like Mayhew and I think at times Isaac Ratcliffe, you would still like to see more points that he could have dug up all on his own. 
So I agree 100%, Jason. He has to decide that does he want to stay in the middle where he will take less contact but be willing to play more of a two-way game and be able to translate it up the middle of the ice? Or does he want less responsibility on the wing but in a position where he may have to deal with more contact? You can have it both ways. Yeah, and the thing is, is you, you can be that player that's not great in the D zone and you can still be a net positive player because of what you provide in other zones. Exactly. And, and I think that's one of the things about the team. Like we got to get to this place where we go, okay, we have a guy that is going to give us so much with relative consistency offensively that we're willing to sacrifice a little defensively. And and if we have that, let's put it on a line where the line doesn't totally suffer defensively because we have a pretty responsible player that also has playmaking ability with them offensively. So that's the kind of thing that they're dealing with. And, and, you know, like, you know, the, I see this a lot on Twitter, the organizational philosophy of picking 200 foot hockey players. And I, I think that that is a philosophy that they've kind of abided by and which has kind of prevented them maybe from getting that super dynamic offensive talent. But you got to add that dynamic offensive talent. Like Atkinson's got dynamic offensive talent, but he's up there in years, obviously, but he is good defensively. I mean, he kills penalties. He's one of your better penalty killers. But you need one. You do need some of those guys, those high flying guys that literally scare the shit out of the opponent when they're on the yeah. ice because of what they what they can do offensively with the way they can get a shot off in a spot or go to certain places and just make themselves unstoppable at points where it causes so many problems. And the Flyers just don't have that. Let me ask you about. I saw something that you tweeted and reported, and I thought it was really interesting. Let's go here to the uh, Ryan Ellis tweet you had. You said on the Ryan Ellis front. I don't think it's a slam dunk. He's 100% healthy by training camp. You said, speaking to several team sources, the word, quote, hope is considered a considerably consistently attached in regard to whether or not Ellis will be healthy by September. Wow, that's discouraging. Yeah, well, like I checked in on it because obviously people on Twitter, as we become accustomed to, lost their minds when he was not present for the team photo last week. Uh-huh. Uh, So I checked in with several people and it seemed like he was out of town getting treatment that day and that he would be photoshopped into the team photo. So that all checked out. Um, You know, obviously he's been dealing with injuries going back to mid-November at this point. And then I just kind of throw a casual, you know, text to the same people saying like, so next training camp, it'll be okay. And it, the the responses range from, well, we really hope so, or that's the hope, or you have to hope so. And it's not assuring at all. And this is not me reporting like, hey, he's 100% not going to be healthy. Like, it's all doom and gloom. Like, maybe you fast forward to September and all the stars align and everything falls in the right place and he is healthy. But at this very moment... I don't think, or not at this very moment, as of last week, and I kind of confirmed it again today, I don't think that they are 100% confident that he will get there. And that kind of just begs the question of what the hell is going on with this guy? Yeah, It's been since November that he's been out. I mean, initially it was week to week, and then there wasn't a setback kind of blamed for it being elongated. Then obviously we got to this point where it's for the season. I know that Biz on the TNT pregame show a couple of days ago mentioned that how Ellis has only played four games as they were analyzing the Flyers. And he said he only played four games because of a hip injury. And then he kind of caught himself and said, sorry, lower body injury. So that may be our first tip as to what exactly is injured, but why the shroud of mystery? Is there a is there a rub between the player and the team on how to fix the problem or move forward with the problem and manage it? Well, they've kept it pretty hush hush. Right. Like, uh, I, uh, yeah, I've it's tried to dig. Yeah. All, all I've been able to get in regards to it, and it's normal that you don't typically like to report on a guy's, you know, specific injury unless he gives the green light to. So you're respecting the, previous, the player's privacy. But I've just been told that it's just the same nagging thing. And obviously some have been asking, well, why don't you add, like, why don't you just get surgery done? Well, does it need surgery? Is it something that requires surgery? Like I don't pretend to be a medical professional, but it could, it be something that a surgery won't fix. You know, I mean, it's so secretive and it's very frustrating because we could talk about 
let's say within the confines of this aggressive retool, and I heard you bring that up mm-hmm. in the preview of the show that seems to be kind of like the lightning rod word of the week right now is that's the path the flowers are going to go down. So in a, in a, an aggressive retool world, it all is for naught if Ryan Ellis isn't healthy. Like he's the linchpin to all of this. And that's why I think we saw this season go off the rails because his acquisition or the acquisition of him was the linchpin to this season being successful. Like even if you didn't like the Ristolainen signing or the Martin Jones signing or bringing Nate Thompson back, I don't think anyone really hated the Vorchek for Atkinson deal. But everyone said, well, it's not too bad no matter how you feel about those specific deals because you brought in Ryan Ellis for pennies on the dollar. Like you gave up arguably your worst forward and your worst defenseman from last year. You got a free look at the guy. Yeah. But he didn't play at all. So then you saw a product where the Flyers did exactly what they did without the Ryan Ellis acquisition. And it just goes to show how much riding is how much is riding on this guy's health in terms of this team's success. Oh, there's a ton. I, I said in an episode of Flyers Daily that no matter what they do this offseason, if they're able to shed money and get involved in a high-end free agent, whether that's Gaudreau or, who knows, Philip Forsberg, maybe he still hasn't signed an extension, anybody, then you still have to temper your enthusiasm because there are still some big question marks. Ryan Ellis at the top of that list, even Couturier. I have no worries about Couturier personally, but I understand why people do coming off a of back surgery with the new contract kicking in. So I understand it. I won't ridicule anybody for having, you know, being, being a little uneasy with it. Frankly, I'm maybe I'm a little uneasy. Maybe that's the way to put it. And, and you know, the, the guys that they're returning. So, I mean, if you go out and you get Gaudreau, like I get getting excited about that, but th- what does that mean for the team? Does that mean they're a playoff team? I don't know that because so much is still riding on Ellis. And I mean, I, I don't even know what to do at this point because you need a top pairing right side guy. And while York has played well there with Provorov, I still don't think that's the answer just yet. It's not the answer because I think that those two have been better than Provorov and Justin Braun. I do believe that because I just think, and this is no slight on Justin Braun. I love what Justin Braun brings to the team, but as a top pairing guy, and you could even make the case as a top four guy, you can't be so one dimensional. And I think the problem was with the Provorov Braun pairing, while it worked good in spot duty, was because Justin Braun really can't move the puck. He could stout the rush. He could, you know, suppress a high danger chances against, but when it's time to move the puck out, it always had to be on Provorov. So other teams could just forecheck Provorov because they knew that Justin Braun wasn't the guy capable of breaking the puck out. Now with Cam York, you do have a guy that can break the puck out, but do you want Cam York playing in a shutdown situation? You know, how many games is he on his offside? How many games is he into his NHL career? 30 or so. And, you know, still not an overly big guy. I don't think he was ever dubbed as like a shutdown type of defenseman. So there, it, there still are, it still is a work in progress here. And it begs the question of like, what is your backup plan going to be next season if Ryan Ellis isn't available? Like, even for a lot of people who want Provorov traded, well, I want to see York play with Ryan Ellis. Well, what if Ryan Ellis isn't here? You're going to go in with Cam York and... Igor Zamula is your top pair <laughs> like yeah so it's the a box. dicey situation where what's happened with Ryan Ellis has made you un- unable to trade Ivan Provorov or even a guy like Travis Sanheim for that matter yeah they're really in an in, in interesting situation and I know you know one of the tweets that you just put out uh yesterday I think it was 21 hours ago uh, a guy had tweeted you and said probably should get a GM who can hire a competent staff and actually admit the team needs to dump cap and rebuild first and foremost. And your response was, you quote tweeted him. You said, at what point are we going to realize this is not Fletcher's decision, but Dave Scott's? I thought this was well-documented by now. But like the, the it begs the question though, Ant, you know, what, whatever you want to call it, you know, there you can stretch what the name and what that means to each individual team. But for the Flyers to dump cap, how do, can somebody explain to me? Maybe you can. How you dump Ryan Ellis, who's played four games and may not be ready for next year, as you reported? Uh, how do you dump Sean Couturier coming off a of back surgery, entering year one of an eight-year deal? How do you dump? Uh, you know these contracts. You, I, I just don't see how you. How are you going to dump Kevin Hayes' contract? He's got five, four years left after this, at seven plus. 
No, tea. this isn't the Godfather where you say <laughs> to a guy, hold a gun to him and say, either your signatures can be on these trade papers or your brains. You know, no GM's going to come in and just bail you out because you need help to make the Flyers better. So how do you dump contracts? Well, those three you can. Like, you're stuck with those. Maybe Kevin Hayes two years down the road, especially if he sustains this level of play. Because when Kevin Hayes is playing like this, I have no problem with that contract. Is yeah. he probably overpaid by a million bucks? Sure. But when you get a guy on the open market, you're going to overpay probably by at least a mil for a year in term. Like if we had, if they had signed Kevin Hayes for six by six, would we be talking about this at all as like a brutal no. contract? No, totally agree. It, exactly. So you, it, people get frustrated because you see the seven year term and the seven at the beginning of the AAV. So I don't have a problem with that. Sean Couturier, like if you were trying to stay competitive, you have to re-sign him. Like I remember talking to someone with the Flyers when they signed that deal. And the question back was, is like, where else are you going to find a centerman like him on the open market. Like we had to pay him that. And I don't particularly discount. I think he would have got more on the open market. Had he not been injured a hundred percent. I think it would have been at least 8.5 on the open market. Yeah. I think he, I think he gets yeah close to nine and four yeah. seven. Yeah. So look, I think you get him under a 7.75 million dollar AEV, obviously locked in low with a no movement clause. And if you can find a way to reduce his minutes, maybe play him less on the power play. I've never found him a particularly great power play player. Just try and find a way to keep his minutes at least until the playoffs under 20 a game, preferably yeah. around 18. I think you could find a way to make that contract work because Sean Couturier playing at Sean Couturier's peak level is worth $7.75 million every day of the week. Yeah, and even if you get, yeah. exactly. And even if you get to a point where the last two years of his deal, he's an overpaid three C like who, who cares, right? It happens. Yeah. Everybody has that. That's what that's the cost of having players develop into being really good players. And like with Hayes, that's the cost of going into the open market. You have to overpay. That's why you have to draft and develop. Yeah. And and this is kind of and you said it to me like off uh like off air before that this is all a byproduct of the Nolan Patrick miss. Yeah. That I just wrote that down. I just wrote down Patrick right there next. I wanted to talk to you about that. How much of the Flyers' issues can we like draw like a tree branch back to Nolan Patrick? Because they went out and got Hayes because they knew Patrick wasn't going to be able to go with the head issues that off season, and they needed a center so bad, so bad. So they went after Hayes, and I know they went after Kadri at the end of that season to try and get him from Toronto. And I would have been fine with Kadri then. I'm not as much fine with Kadri as a free agent signing after Agreed. this career year. But they end up getting Kevin Hayes, and the team was really good, despite the fact that Nolan Patrick didn't play at all. But Patrick, the failure of Nolan Patrick has so many tentacles all over this team. I mean, look at it. You look at the situation, obviously, at the center position. You look at the situation and what they brought in on the wings and, and everything else to help offensively. And then you look also, when you look at Nolan Patrick, you look at the fact that they didn't draft somebody else that could have helped them. Like if you drafted, and this is revisionist, but McCarr. So you end up with Patrick and the fallout, negative fallout of that, and you don't end up with any positive with the positive addition of a guy like McCarr or Heiskanen. Yeah, and the the thing is, is that, what was it, 25 minutes later after drafting Nolan Patrick, you trade Braden Shen. Yeah. And look, I'll like, and I, and I like Joel Farabee. I think Morgan Frost will be a decent NHL player. But like, in the immediate impact of losing a Braden Shen was crucial. It buried their center ice position. Because then you go into the next season, the first year where Giroux started playing wing, with a one-two-three punch of Couturier, Nolan Patrick, Valtteri, Filpula, which was passable then because Couturier had the career year or close to his career year. Filpula was still a competent NHL player. Patrick, that would, probably was his best season, was his rookie year. Yeah, if we're being Second honest, half of it. yeah, for sure, good half the seasons. Yeah, and he had a pretty good showing in the playoffs against the Penguins in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, is that then you look in 2018, 2019, where you let Philpula go, Patrick kind of regresses or stays stagnant, and then you have Misha Vorobiev as your 3C. Yeah. And then that becomes a disaster. And then even after that season where... 
Patrick goes on the shelf. Verobia is no longer a thing. And then you sign Kevin Hayes, and then you have like a motley crew of either Scott Lawton or Derek Grant trying to play that 3C type of role. I think even Connor Bonnerman got a kick at that can. So ever since that trade or that drafting and that signing or that, that drafting and that trade, they've been on this endless quest to solidify their center ice position. Because the other part about that is, is how many centermen that Textall drafted flopped? German yeah. Rupsov. Pascal LeBerge, Jay O'Brien. Those are three guys that were drafted inside the top 35 of their respective drafts, and they flopped. You know, Morgan Frost, kind of that hope, but again, we just, you know, outlined that we're not sure if he's a center or a winger at this point. They have no guys in their system right now that projects to be a top nine centerman both now and in in five years from now. Maybe Elliot Denoyer is that, but again... How far out is he? Is he more of a winger? We don't know. So that one selection has caused such a ripple effect that Fletcher is still trying to deal with. And what's the number one priority this summer, Jason? Oh, the number Top one priority. Center. Yeah, absolutely. You have to get it. And you have to get a dynamic one. I mean, the term high-end talent's been thrown around. But that's that's an easy thing to say, but a difficult thing to get. Because okay. high-end talent... If it becomes available, it's going to cost you a boatload and they just don't have the cap space as currently constructed. So how do they get the cap space to do it? Right. You got to buy out. You got to, Well, I mean, you're, there's not even that much savings on his buyout of JVR cap wise. You got to get somebody to take him. You hope him getting the 20 goals with one year left is something palatable for somebody looking for a guy that can maybe help them on the power play, give them some scoring, but in the right situation and only on a one year deal. And you look at teams that probably have to shed some money to to sign a big. I mean, you're not shedding a ton because he's seven million. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where he can go. But but you know the thing about it, Dan is, and I know you were fighting the fight on Twitter. You know, you look at a lot of people a losing well, effort. Yeah, well, you never <laughs> win that one. Um, a, a lot of people blame Chuck for where the team is right now, and you look at a lot of the players they have and. You look at his draft picks in particular, and I think he's drafted pretty darn well, all things considered, where he's drafted and, and the situation. Yeah, he gave up some picks to for Ristolainen, obviously, and uh, you know the second-round pick and the, the Goss Despair deal, so he's lost some equity in that regard, gotten some of it back um, with the Giroux trade and, and Braun and others. But overall, you know, you can't – a lot of times when you're judging something in the present, it's – based on what took place five years ago. Well, it's like I've said this numerous times when describing Chuck Fletcher's tenures that the moment he came in here, he was tasked with saving the Ron Hextall plan mm-hmm. and trying to make it work with the existing veterans who a lot of them are gone now in Giroux and Voracek. And I guess if you want Simmons. to count Simmons, if you want to count Ghost as a veteran, but you still have some of the layovers like Couturier and JVR and the quote younger guys that Hextall brought in headlined by Konechny, Provorov and Sanheim. And, you know, 2019-20, I think they took a really good kick at the can and they got close. I mean, I think that Fletcher mishandled the 2020 trade deadline. I think that was a good enough team to have made a bigger acquisition than Derek Grant or Nate Thompson. Like I really want them to go get a Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Mm-hmm. I think it would have changed a lot. But after that year and, you know, Voracek and Giroux, uh, another year ticks off their clock and you have a guy like Matt Niskanen retire and just all these things start compounding. And then obviously what happened in the bubble, I think really started the strain between the coach and the core players. Yeah. And it quickly became obvious that that Ron Hextall plan was unsalvageable because you wasted the years of a very good offensive group with Giroux and Simmons and Voracek and even Braden Shen. And the guys you drafted weren't good enough to replace them, at least offensively. And now you've kind of are in the reverse of when Hextall took over is like now you have a goalie of the future and more or less your defense set for the future. But your forwards are in shambles. Like they have not drafted a centerman that has become a staple in the top nine playing down the middle since Sean Couturier. Like you could kind, yeah, you could kind of make that case for Scott Lawton, but I think he's more of a winger. Yeah. 
so it, it's you know like I, I don't really like at this point throwing shade at Ron Hexall because it has been like three and a half years at this point and by this per- certain point you kind of have to just blame the guy who has been steering the ship for that long yeah but is Chuck Fletcher actually the guy saying, yeah, we have to contend at all costs. We have to compete at all costs. Because when he speaks publicly, and when I talk to people behind the scenes, they know exactly what's wrong with this team. Yeah, they're not oblivious. They, like, they know. Yeah. And they know, again, admitted publicly, that the best way to fix it is to draft near the top of the draft, which yep. maybe they'll get to do this summer. So then it begs the question, and I'm sure you know this as well, because Dave Scott was the guy who personally fired Ron Hextall. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who stepped in. So it begs the question, is, is the, are the marching orders and the mandate coming from higher than Chuck Fletcher? And he's given a destination, and he just has to find out a way to get to that destination. Yeah. But is that destination even possible? Yeah, that's the thing you got to ask. Like, is there any any route, any way to get the, to the destination of aggressive rebuild and have it be plausible. Um, is there any way to do a teardown? Is that plausible? Like you got to figure out those things and figure out maybe it's somewhere in between, which, which I think is what it should be in the sense that, you know, I would go into next year and go, okay, we're going to play a lot of the young guys again. We're going to play Noah Cates. We're going to play, not Ronnie Adderd. I think he needs time in the AHL, yeah. we're, but we're going to play Cam York a lot. Brink. We're going to play Morgan Frost and Brink and, and those guys. And I'm not going to give away any draft equity or anything for anybody to take JVR. If I got to have him here in the last year of his deal, I'll have him here because I can't give up any more draft equity for departing guys for negative, for, you know, a roster pull. So, I, I would say, okay, I'll kind of eat it. I'll get a high draft pick this year. I'll get a high draft pick next year. And I'll also be in a cap situation that next year in 2023, where I can really get involved in free agency with a pretty interesting class. Right. And, you know, hopefully you get the number one pick and you can land, you know, a franchise face in Connor Bedard, a super dynamic player. But even if I don't, I'm going to get a really good player at the top of two drafts in a row. And that's going to be, what I'm going to do to turn this around. It doesn't have to be a five-year rebuild, but it's got to be, all right, we're not willing to try and push forward next year. We're going to be trying to push forward the year after that. And I agree. I, I don't think this is a scenario where you have to take like the Toronto 2015 approach or the Ottawa 2018 approach where you completely burn it to the ground and restart. I think you have some veterans here, some good veterans that you could keep around in. Well, now you're locked into Sean Couturier. I think you should have moved on from him, but it is what it is at this point. You have Kevin Hayes, you who may be the next captain of this team. It's possible. You have Cam Atkinson. You have Scott Lawton. And now you have some nice pieces on the back end. But if you go into next year in a, in a low-pressure situation – and you have all these guys develop together. And I do think they have some prospects that are better than people think. Like I put out a thread yesterday. I know you commented on it. Yeah. That I think their drafting has been better than we may have previously thought. And I think a lot of that credit has to go to Brent Flair. Like Brent Flair kind of hides in the shadows, doesn't yeah. really get talked about too much. But I think he's a really brilliant guy when it comes to the draft. And you look at what he did in Minnesota. Like yeah. those are all Brent Flair guys. So I, I think that they've changed their philosophy a bit when they're drafting in, lo- in later rounds. Like, obviously, Bobby Brink was a the guy they took in 2019. Den Y.A. was a the guy I think they took in 2020. McLennan is a guy that they took very late, I think, in 2020 or 2021. So they have some promising guys here. And even some later Hextall picks. Like, I've been very impressed with a guy like Noah Cates. So if you go into next year with no expectations and if you make the playoffs whatever if you don't great kind of like when they went into 2015-16 the first year of the Haxtell era yep with those kind of expectations and you're playing with house money i think that by 2023-2024 things could really look different here maybe they're not a cup contender but maybe they're a consistent playoff team yep but if the mandate is that you have to get back into the playoffs this next season at all costs, you're going to be forced into some decisions that may not pan out so well, because can you have 
Cam York playing in your top four next year if you have to make the playoffs? Can you have Bobby Brink and Noah Cates playing in your top nine next year if you have to make the playoffs? Can Morgan Frost be playing 3C if you have to make the playoffs? And and I'm just a bit afraid that if they push forward with this win-at-all-costs right now or compete-at-all-costs right now mandate... Someone commented on the black guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he wants to be a star too now. But um, <laughs> but uh, if you have to compete at all costs, you may be thrusted into decisions that may not benefit you long term. And are those decisions even going to make that much of a difference in the short term? Yeah. And, and that's the conundrum wrapped in a riddle. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. There's been some good picks. Like I think Tyson Forster is going to be a, a really interesting guy. Yeah, going forward, I'm glad he got was able to get back this year too and play a bit. I think that's big for the team. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, you know, uh, somebody said to me like, I don't want to sign up for Chuck Fletcher era Minnesota Wild, but you have to look what Minnesota is now. Now there's been some, you know, Paul Fenton was there, and now Billy Guerin's there, and they put their stamp on it. Uh, but a lot of that core was drafted and developed. All of them by Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always credit for that because he's been gone. I mean, he doesn't get credit for that because people don't want to give him credit for that. Yeah, because it doesn't fit the narrative. That's it. And look, like I'll be honest, like I think Chuck Fletcher's biggest fault as a GM, going back to Minnesota and even him, let's say in 2020, 2021, was that he kind of doesn't have that trigger finger to put a team over the top. Like in, let's say, the deadline in 2020, I think he messed that up. I think he should have gone bigger game hunting and he didn't realize how talented that team was. Yeah, I think that they lost against the New York Islanders because they didn't have depth down the middle and they didn't have a guy who was good enough to match up against Matthew Barzal because you couldn't. It's a big, heavy team and they just couldn't handle it. That's it. And and ironically enough, a guy that I wanted, Paja, was on that team. Yep. And, you know, everyone was upset that you were matching Nate Thompson against Matthew Barzal. But for a team that couldn't score, if you match Katori against Matthew Barzal, they were never going to score again. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. So if you had a JG Paja who could have matched up against a Barzal, who could skate with a Barzal, maybe it could have been different. But back on the Chuck Fletcher thing, then in the summer of 2020 or the off season, because it was technically like in October, he really did nothing. He didn't find a facsimile to the retirement of Matt Niskanen when you had an opportunity to get a guy maybe like Brody or Chris Tanev. And these were things that I think fall at his feet. But to try and, you know, paint this narrative that he's like this horrible GM and he's only there because of his dad and old boys club, like... There's tangible evidence of what him and Brent Flair did in Minnesota. Yeah. Like what major additions, aside from Zuccarello, who was actually Paul Fenton, has Bill Guerin really made? Like you look at that team. It's Brodeen. It's Spurgeon. It's Dumba. It's Kaprizov. It's Erickson Eck. These are all Chuck Fletcher guys. Yeah, that's the core of that team. You're you're so right. You know, I think we texted about this last night, but – in a lot of ways, Chuck Fletcher got the the con of the Flyers in a worse condition than when Ron Hextall got it from Paul Holmgren, didn't he? I would agree. Yeah, I mean, you look at what, you know, yeah, there were some cap situations with Holmgren, and he stepped down because of the Shea Weber offer sheet, and, you know, all of those things didn't think that he could be effective in that role anymore. Had his team at a much higher level than this, but... And then they hand it off to Hexy, who goes for this patience plan to Mr. Snyder, who bought into it. And, you know, he's just, you don't have any centers outside of Couturier, who was drafted again by Paul Holmgren. And then, you know, when Fletcher gets it, it's so fundamentally flawed. And then the flat cap comes, the pandemic and the flat cap comes in and it really ties your hands. And in this city, like, that's hard for people because for so many years before the cap, it was, Flyers could just outspend, you know, Wild West. and everybody. So there's still that feeling of oh, no, now nobody wants to come here, but they don't have the advantage that they had before of an owner that was just willing to throw money out there. Right. So in a lot of ways, I think Fletcher got the team in a, in a more precarious situation from Ron Hextall than Hextall did from Paul Holmgren. Yeah, because he in, he inherited a team that was theoretically coming out of a rebuild, and I use that team that term very loosely. Very theoretically, yeah. But 
the top players in Voracek and Giroux were already on the wrong side of 30 years old. So what kind of rebuild was done as opposed to Hextall that inherited a core group of forwards that was very good. Your center ice position was set for five years with Shen, Giroux, and Couturier. You had Voracek, who was probably a top 10 winger in the NHL at that time. Wayne Simmons, who was arguably the best power forward and net front power play guy in the NHL at that time. Steve Mason, who I thought was an above average goaltender. I think in 2014-15, which was their worst season under Hextall, he had a save percentage of north of 920, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was a lot better than the people would lead you to believe at that time he was very good like obviously a bit of a head case at times for sure but as a goaltender he did his job and in 928 in 2014-15 that's incredible and that was the year that they drafted seventh overall for Provorov like that was a brutal year yeah that was a very bad year that was the year that after team and but that was the year that they traded team in when he came back from the The blood blood clot yep yeah and, you know, you had like, I remember their top pair, their top four that year was like Coburn, McDonald, Grossman, Strite. <laughs> like, it was brutal. And then your third pair was like Coley Akavo and Luke Shen off the top of my head. I think that's what their defense looked like. Wow. Or Michael Delzato or someone like that. <laughs> yeah, they ended up finishing, I think, uh, in the sixth spot that season. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at the, I'm looking at the roster from the 14 fit and like, Jason Atkinson, Atkinson played some games that year. And Blair Jones. Yeah, I mean, what the heck? Del, Delzato was on that team, Delhi. Matt yeah. Reed uh, had a whopping eight goals that year, 30 <laughs> points. But you had, you know, Raffle, you had R.J. Umberger in that deal that you got. Umberger was bad. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, was really bad. Point. But you're right, like Grossman played 68 games. Luke Shen, uh, Ryan White's on that team. McDonald, Coburn, Coley Akavo. I mean, it's just... Not good. Not good at all. I mean, Mace that year, 18, 18, and 11 was his record. And he had a 928 save percentage and a 225 goals against average. I mean, that's impressive for a team that was fielding that at that time. He he was brilliant. Like, he was an absolutely brilliant goalie at that point. And I'm actually, I want to check, like, his underlying numbers for that year. Just, like, to see, like, how good he was as a goaltender. And look, out of goaltenders who played 15 games in that year, 2014-15, at least 15 games, he was fourth in goals saved above expected per 60. Yeah, almost 20. 20 goals on the season, yeah. And if you take out Andrew Hammond and Calvin Pickard, who only played 24 and 16 games respectively, he was only behind Carey Price. Wow. So in a lot of ways, you can make the case that he could have been a Vesna finalist that year. Like he had a very good year. So the the team that Hextall inherited just needed to revamp the the, the defense. But by let's say 2017-18, when Provorov was up and Gossesbeer was up and Hag was up and Sanheim was scratching the surface, it was on Hextall in 17-18 to add some veteran pieces to that back end. But what happened? You had Provorov playing with McDonald on the top pair. You had Ghost with like Robert Hag on a second pair. Your third pair was still Brandon Manning and Brad Gudas. He just didn't add anyone. And you look at what just two additions to the back end meant two years later in Niskanen and Justin Braun, and it changed everything. Now imagine you put Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun on that team in 1718, which was the best Hextall year by far, and Giroux had his career year, and Voracek had, I think, 85 points and all that. Picture what kind of year they could have had. Oh, totally different. Absolutely. I agree with you. And, you know, that team, Giroux goes 102 that year, just coming back from the 58-point season, and just, it was unbelievable. But yeah, Mace is one of those guys that we we never look back on and have fond memories of, but when you go back and look at his numbers, I mean, in his rookie year in nine sixteen, he was good and won the Calder in, yeah. in Columbus. He was a bit of head, a bit of a head case. He was a guy that would call guys out. And at that position, that's a little tenuous Dicey. territory to go to. It is. Cause I mean, they can just go, dude, you got to make a save in that spot. You know, like you can pinpoint when a goalie sucks real easy. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I've been pinpointed a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but but like but, as a goalie too, you got to go in the room after that and be like, "Boys, 
I prevented us from winning tonight. I sucked. You got to fall on your sword at that position. That's part of the deal. Um, Hart, by the way, last thing at Carter Hart, um, Mike Yo kind of alluded that he might be done for the season yesterday. That's not confirmed, but I imagine we'll get an update tomorrow. Um, we saw Felix Sandstrom and the notion of, you know, if Sa- give Sandstrom some games here down the stretch in the final eight, maybe four, split them down the middle, you know, back-to-backs in here as well. Um, and if he plays well, maybe he can be your backup next year. I think that that's unlikely because even if he plays four, that's a total of six NHL games for a guy that's been erratic at the AHL level. Um, and, you know, they go, well, because you can save some cap, but you really don't save that much cap because if he's a uh, group six UFA next year, so he's going to make like 900 if they sign him back here to be the backup. And it's only about a million dollar savings to Martin Jones is the risk amount of risk that you take on that he's not an NHL goaltender ready for that role to play 25 games and, you know, possibly have to, you know, kind of captain the team from the goaltending position for a couple of weeks while Carter Hart is dinged up. Is that really, you know, a risk worth taking considering the little amount of cap space you get in about a million in savings? Well, look, I, I, I thought that he was impressive this year in the two games he played, you yeah. know, obviously last night, less so. I think that Sandstrom could be an NHL goalie for sure. I could understand of not wanting to go down that road if you want to be competitive next year. If they were going into next year in a no pressure situation, I'd say, why the hell not play yeah. him? Because yeah. they, they have a lot of pieces, right? And throughout their system, goaltending wise, like Urson is extended two years beyond this. He's for sure one of the goalies in Lehigh next year. Ustamenko kind of seems like the odd man out based on uh, my partner on Brotherly Pod, Dan, is a season tick holder with the Phantoms. He said he's kind of been like the worst of the three. Then you have a guy like Fedotov, but you've alluded to it. It might be dicey trying to get Russians over here, given what's mm-hmm. going on over in Europe. Work visas. So, work visas. And then it also begs the question, does Sandstrom want to come back? Obviously, you had that situation last year where like it seemed like he was going to Europe, but then he came back. Yeah. So weird. look. It was a weird situation. And, you know, Sandstrom, he's a year older than Carter Hart, right? So he's a guy that he's going to be 26 by next January. So they have to kind of make a decision on him. And I fear that if you don't give him a shot in the the NHL, he might bolt. He's going back. I think so, too. A hundred percent. So you kind of have to weigh, like, do you want to lose him? uh, Or do you want to give him a shot at the NHL level? Is he a good enough goalie to become an NHLer one day? I don't know. Like, I've liked what I saw with him at the NHL level. People who have watched him with the Phantoms have told me, including someone with the Flyers, that his numbers aren't indicative of how good he's been down there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he battled injuries up until this year, kind of started to find his groove. It's weird for me. Like, if I would like to see him in the the NHL, but on on the other hand, I understand if they don't want to go down that road. But if they do want to get another veteran backup, I actually wrote about today. It should be up sometime over the next 24 hours. A guy that I would like to see would be a guy like Scott Wedgwood. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Wedgwood would be like a nice in-between. I'm I'm not completely against Martin Jones, especially if he takes a discount. Like, well, you, you're more privy to the situation than me. Like, how would you kind of rate Martin Jones this season? I think he's been, you know, I think he's changed his game a lot. I think he's been better. I And I think that he knows that his days of being a 50 start, goaltender in the NHL are probably over. So he guys, I think he's transitioned into that role of being a backup pretty well. That's hard for a lot of guys like Mace couldn't do that. Steve yeah. Mason, his mind wouldn't let him do that to be a Cold backup. Even though, I mean, you could make a lot of money for a lot of years doing that. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I look at him and, you know, he's the known element too. You know, the chemistry is good with Carter, the relationship uh, with he Carter and Dilly, Kim Dillaball, the Flyers goalie coach. And then, so, I mean, I could see him coming back, but, I mean, could you get him at 1.8? Probably, um, if he wants to stay. And his experience off the ice was good, and I, I believe that it was. So, I'd be fine with that. But, yeah, I do look at guys like Wedgwood. I look at guys like, uh, you know, Thomas Grice that aren't going to cost you a tremendous amount of money that have a little bit more, you know, pedigree, certainly at the NHL level, than a Felix Sandstrom. And you mentioned Fedotov, and, like, I, I know his numbers are good in the KHL. I know he had a good Olympics against – basically collegiate and junior players that was not, you know, the highest level of competition in the Olympics. So we have to keep that in mind and the KHL, not really the highest scoring league either. And the game is so different. 
You know, yeah, adjusting 100%. to the North American game is not just about the size of the ice. And he's, I know he's played on the small ice a bit over there, but the approach to the game is so different. And you don't just come from that league and come here and start putting up numbers. It just does. I know he's 25, but still, there's got to be an adjustment period. You don't come from the KHL and never playing here and jump into the NHL and expect me to have confidence that that's going to work. Well, we've seen that with other goalies too. Like I remember the monster, Jonas, uh, Jonas Gustafson or Jonas, mm-hmm. however the hell it's pronounced. And he came over and he signed with the Leafs. And I don't think he was bad. I think he carved out a decent backup role for a few years. He bounced around with, I remember it was with the Bruins for a bit, the Ducks, I think the Red Wings, but he wasn't like this dominant starting goaltender that he was overseas. Yeah. And, and I mean, so to kind of, turn it back to Sandstrom here like do you think he has potential to be an NHL goaltender for him what you've seen and I'm sure you've watched him more in, in Lehigh Valley than I have like what do you make of Sandstrom I mean I've, I've kind of watched his development since he was taken all the way back in what 2015 he was taken third so round been, yeah I mean he's been in this development system I think he was 70 overall um and I've seen his game develop now what I will tell you I talked to Dilly about him last night you know we were riding the elevator up and I just kind of pulled him aside for a couple minutes after the first period and just said, you know, where is he? Where's the development? And he's like, you know, we've had him for a long time. He's come a long way. COVID and injuries kind of really disrupted any kind of rhythm he could get into in development and playing over here. And he had a big adjustment to the, the small ice. But the, the technical aspects of his game, the goalie technical abilities are all there. They're NHL. Very precise in his movements, a lot of efficiency read plays well and what, what dilly said to me was just that you know and, and sometimes that's easier at the nhl level because there's more structural structure there's more predictability in in the rush when it comes to play reading but you know where is he in the rebound broken plays in those situations it's not he wasn't citing compete level but can he handle that kind of load at the nhl level in those situations like you saw him on the five on three He's going from up on his edges as soon as the puck goes out high to boom, right into an RVH post lean on those one-time attempts on his right side. And he made some really good saves there. Like that's a technical element that he's leaning on there. It was perfectly executed, leg down into the post, full you know, post lean to get a good seal on that, pushing with his left leg to seal that post, perfect. But you look at these situations on broken plays, is that where – he would get hurt at the NHL level because there's a considerable amount of them. Cause there's a lot of traffic, you know, there's a lot of plays and pucks that hit off a, a defender shin pad. And then all your structure has to go out the window. Can he handle that? That's the question I think Dilly was kind of inferring. And then you, you it begs the question, like, do you want like a goaltending tandem of guys who are 24 and 25 yeah. or 25, 26 respectively? Like I've always been more of the traditional, like you have the set starting goaltender and then ideally you have the set veteran backup. I've yeah, always, I've traditionally liked that setup. Like I remember I hated the Brzezgalov Bob Bobrovsky tandem. Yeah, because you knew that Bob wanted to become a starter somewhere. Yeah, or when they sent Bob to Columbus and then Mason wanted out, and then ironically mm-hmm. he came to Philadelphia. But I mean, if next year is a no pressure situation, which I don't think it will be, so unless they do a one eighty on their expectations for next season, I think that they are going to try and compete, which would lend you to believe that they'll go back with a veteran backup, whether that's a Jones or a Grice or a Wedgwood or what have you. Mm-hmm. But Let's say you're Chuck Fletcher and everything changes and you can go into next year with no expectations. Would you consider giving Sandstrom a shot as the backup? I would provided one, you know, if they get into, they find a way to open up some cap space and they find a way that they could be potentially a playoff team and they just have no cap space to do it. Like that would be the only way, but then now you're in that situation of, you know, the 25 games, 28 games that the backup plays, could that sink your season? So it's more, got more peril. So I don't know. They need a good number three. They would need to sign a veteran number three guy. Yeah. So like a Corey Schneider type. Oh boy. (laughs) I know he got the start and I got got a game in and it was the first time in a couple of years, but yeah, Corey Schneider that he's been through it. There's no doubt about it. So it's, Mm. it's compelling. So I mean, and, and the best goalie prospect probably in the system is Kolosov, but he's years away because he's in the KHL. He's 20 years old. He was drafted last year, was it? 
Yeah. So, the, the, you know, what, one thing about Hextall is that he kind of really stalked that pipeline with goalies. You know, the three guys who were playing in the AHL this year were all Hextall picks, were they not? Mm-hmm. Urson, uh, Ustamenko. Like, I know a lot of people kind of got high on Ustamenko about a year, a year or two ago, but it seems like he's kind of the odd man out, right? Like, Urson is kind of like the next one in line. Well, you, I mean, the big variable is what do you do with Sandstrom now that he's a UFA, and what do you do about Fedotov? So that will determine who ends up playing in the in the coast. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Kolosov, he was taken in the third round uh, last year. Um, he's 20. He's playing for uh, Miskanimo in the K right now. Um, but he's only played – he played 22 ga- 25 games total, and he had about a 906 which is pretty good for a young player. I mean, he's, it's not easy to just jump into that league after your draft year. But, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer you got to draft a goalie in three out of every four years. Yeah. In the NHL draft within the, within the first four rounds. Yeah, you have to. Like, you, you have to be prepared to have some depth at that position. And you know what the thing is, is that even if a guy really pans out, you could always flip him down the road. Like, because if Hart is blocking you, or blocking that goaltender, rather. You, it's just, it's very quality to have those depth pieces that you can parlay into assets, like what the Hurricanes did with with Nadelkovich. Yeah, when they flipped them to Detroit for draft capital. Yeah, or what what uh, LA did with Martin Jones, where they flipped him to Boston in the trade. I believe that was the the Milan Lucic trade. Yeah. So when you have depth at that position, you know teams are always looking for good young goaltenders. That's for sure. No doubt about it. And you love a goalie on an ELC. A guy <laughs> oh, that can yeah. give you good play on an ELC. Oh, that's worth Big. its weight in gold. Yeah. So, all right, Ant, let's wrap it up. Um, and again, Anthony will be joining us every Thursday going forward right here on Stick to Hockey Live and uh, read his stuff on the fourth period.com. What's the Twitter handle, Ant? A DeMarco25. A DeMarco25. You get great content there as well. We'll crank her up again next week. And uh, see what happens over the next calendar week. We're getting close to the end of the season here. What is it, the 29th that it ends against uh, the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, 29th. So today is the 14th. So what is it, a, two weeks from tomorrow? 15 days. Yeah, who's counting? Uh, <laughs> and thanks for doing this as always, man. We'll talk to you next week. Take it easy, man. Keep it real. There he is, Anthony DeMarco, joining us on a brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. And every Thursday, we talk to this man and he tells you where to put the cash flow on the great bet parks app. And it's a little something we like to call tones takes. All right, here it is. Another brand new edition of Tone's Takes, and there's the man right there. That's Tone. He gives you the takes. What's going on, brother? Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Are, are you getting like me? Like, this flyer season obviously has been incredibly difficult, frustrating. The Washington game the other night, you know, yeah. having six guys out of the lineup versus the Rangers. But the good news is for guys like you and guys like me is that we're not just fans of the local team. We're fans of the mm-hmm. sport. And there is nothing more fun to bet for me than the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes. Yeah. I can't wait, man. I was actually going to mention it a little bit later to kind of, you know, for the novice betters out there, tread lightly the next three weeks, two weeks or so. Because, you know, as these teams start clinching positioning and stuff, like there's going to be a lot of weird things going on. But, yeah, that first round of the playoffs, it's it's awesome. I I cannot wait for it. Cannot wait for it. It, there's just I kind of I'm kind of mad. It's like starting late. Like I want it to be. It's usually start a baseball season, hockey playoffs. You know. What I mean? Yeah. Like I want it now. <laughs> yeah, but when it gets here, you'll be glad because you're like, now it's just starting. So I'll have you know yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. shortened off, slightly shortened off season. I love it. It's going to be fascinating. The matchups and everything else. Um, you know mm-hmm. which you know teams that have been rising up, but are going to be go home in the first round. Good teams go home every year in the. Stanley Cup playoffs in the first round, and it's like, what do you do with this information? But let's get to Tone's yeah. takes today. I mean, you're you're plus thirty two point nine three units NHL year to date. So let's get to the business here, and let's start out with the Penguins, and you'll take them minus a goal here just to get the even money. 
Yeah, it's the second half of a home-and-home. The Islanders won 5-4 in overtime in the first one. Typically, teams that lose that first end come back a little bit better on the second end. I know they're missing Malkin, and I saw this morning Rust and Rod- Rodriguez may not play, mm-hmm. but I'm banking on Pittsburgh to kind of, you know, kind of right the ship here. The Caps are right behind them. Um, I think they're three points behind them, so Pittsburgh wants to pick up a win here. So expecting a big game from Crosby, Latang, Carter, and company tonight. Yeah, all of a sudden the Caps are starting to get things together a little bit. They've won four straight, and they're starting to put pressure. Mm-hmm. And what that does, you're right, that puts Pittsburgh in a position where they go. We need two points here. We cannot let them draw even. So really important game there uh, between the Pens and the Isles. And you'll take Pittsburgh minus the one at plus a hundy. Let's go to uh, Vancouver. Um, And you got the total here over four for the Canuck. Yeah, plus 110 going with an alternate line. Uh, They're they're not going to make the playoffs, but they still have a fighting chance. Um, Arizona's given up 22 goals in their last four games. Vancouver scored five goals in both meetings against the Coyotes. Um, and, and lately Vancouver has been putting a puck in the net also. So, uh, I think they can get the, uh, the least four goals here for a push, but, you know, instead of laying the juice on the three and three and a half, I always, uh, opt to go for the plus money here. I'll take a shot. Yeah. So take the team total there with the Canucks and well, Bruce Boudreaux teams, they do that. They score. That's what they do. And he's done it everywhere he's been. I think he's been a really good yep. coach out there and there's a lot of chatter Absolutely. that he might be out. <laughs> Yeah, I heard I heard something like that too. He might be might be done. I mean, you know, be a nice option to look for in Philly. Maybe I don't know. Uh, you know His history with Chuck Fletcher, playoffs, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So who knows what's going to happen? I mean, he's a guy, he's one of those guys that if he's available, I he goes right to the top three of my list automatically. Yeah, he's one of those guys too, where he can kind of he can get the team to the playoffs, win a couple rounds. He may not be able to to close the deal, but you're going to have a young team here. So I mean, it might be a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and exciting brand of hockey as well. Uh, let's go to, I think this is an incredibly important game, your third play here. And we're looking at a game with a team that's on the outside looking in and dare I say in desperation mode. And I think for me, the team that's going to come out of the West and that's the Las Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Calgary Flames tonight. What a game this is. But you'll take the under. You got Markstrom here, who's been great all year. What's the kind of logic on this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with the under, uh, minus 105. Uh, it's under season with some of these games as they get ready for playoffs. Um, Sutter's kind of playing mind games with the Flames. He said that Vegas is the uh, favorite to win the Cup. You know, he's like the Belichick of, uh, of hockey. He knows how to get his team focused. So I think uh, Calgary's going to, uh, you know, buckle down tonight. Uh, Vegas, too. They both uh, – Calgary gave up three goals against Seattle last game. Vegas lost to Vancouver, giving up five goals. I just see this as a – I don't see it getting over six goals. Maybe a push, but last meeting, Calgary won 6 nothing. Uh, meeting earlier in Vegas, I think it was 5-3 Vegas win. I'm uh, just expecting a tight playoff-style game here. Wouldn't be surprised if it goes overtime also, maybe like a 3-2 final kind of game. Totally agree. But I, I agree with you. One of these teams are going to – if Vegas gets in, I mean, one of these teams are going to win the West, in my opinion. If Vegas yeah. gets in, it could be them or it could be Calgary. Yeah, Vegas is getting the math getting real ugly for them. I mean, they are right now with 85 points, three points back of wild card two. And, yeah. you know, Dallas has a game in hand. That's kind of like they can, killer. But they can catch the Kings, though. I think they're three yeah. points behind the Kings, and they have, I think they have two games in hand. So the Kings now with Dowdy being out for the year, I mean, can, exactly. He's been out for a while. They've been playing well, but the, can, they, can they sustain that? So I think the, the division might be the option for Vegas here. Yeah, I think I think that they have two routes, right, to get there. And yeah. you look at the Kings, and you're right. And the Kings, I mean, last night, you know, no doubty. That's tough. They ran Jonathan Quick yeah. out there on both ends of a back to back, and then go Cal Peterson. I know he's like zero and nine against Flyers. the Avalanche career, but yeah. you know the Flyers give up a nine spot on, on Tuesday night, and the Kings give up a nine spot to the Avalanche last night. You get it? It's against the Avalanche. I mean, they're a wagon, but right. holy right. crazy. Yep. All right, so the three plays for Tone's takes. We've got uh, Pittsburgh minus one at uh, plus 100, even money, uh, against the Isles in a back-to-back. Vancouver, Vancouver, the team total over four at plus 110 in that game. And then Vegas and Calgary, an under six, and what will be a playoff-style game between those two teams. Tone, thanks for doing this. As always, people can get your stuff at Tone Stakes on Twitter. Yep, thanks very much, Jason. Appreciate it. All right, there he is. Another edition of Tone's Takes. Thanks, brother. And uh, – the Flyers and oh, let me get that off my face. Uh, the Flyers will be back in action coming up on Saturday. How about a home and home with Buffalo? Nothing says April hockey like that. <laughs> Flyers and the Sabres coming up on uh, Saturday and then Easter Sunday of all times. Easter Sunday 
at five o'clock. Brunch it is. Uh, let me tell you about uh, Bet Parks because the new app is up. It's awesome. It's open for business, and you got to check it out. Exciting time. The all new Bet Parks app, uh, Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. It's now live. And take it from me, this is the the one you've been looking for. Ease of use, easy to and fun to use, faster to win than ever before, and all the different ways to get your action in on the game. And whether it's team totals, whether it's player performances, whether it's alternate lines, same game parlays, you name it, first to score, exact score, it's all there for you. So make sure you check it out. It's the Bet Parks app, and uh, get it, download it, and use the promo code Jason seven five zero. Now, why seven five zero? because that's the amount of the risk-free bet you can take advantage of. <laughs> Other companies, yeah, they may go 100 or 50. They may go they may go up to 500. Nobody goes up to $750 on a risk-free bet. So check that out. I mean, 750 bones. Get in on the action. Check it out. Uh, terms and conditions do apply, but use Jason750 as the promo code and take advantage of that $750 risk-free bet. And right now, uh, so like I said, check it out. It's a great time. Hoops playoffs. Hockey end of season playoffs are coming. So you got a ton to get in on and follow them on the uh, social channels at bet parks. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. The new show with the Linums, D Linum joined us on IGs uh, this week. She's got the new show coming up just in time for the playoffs as well. So check that out and much more uh, with the bet parks uh, bevy of content. And of course the app as well. So download the new bet parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you Monday on a brand new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live.